hated you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 340 of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor, broadcasting right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a program of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. This episode, we're talking with returning champion Dr. Mitch Gaynor, founder and president of Gaynor Integrative Oncology and Gaynor Wellness. Uh, in New York City, here to talk about his latest book, The Gene Therapy Plan, Taking Control of Your Genetic Destiny Through Diet and Lifestyle, with a survivor spotlight on the founder of Life Coaching Matters, the one and only, Heidi Gottlieb. Hello, Kenny, Mallory, and Sean. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, good evening, and good night. Hey. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? Not much. I'm going to ask you every Monday if you skied the weekend beforehand. <laughs> I took off. You did. I, I had to go to the NYCFC o- inaugural home opener at Yankee Stadium. It was awesome. So it's going to be some kind of sports activity every weekend for you. Likely. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, that was what was the sports activity you went to? <clears throat> it was baseball, uh, MLS, soccer. Oh, soccer. Yeah. They, Football in not America. Yeah. They have the all-time leading scorer for Spain, uh, David Villa. Uh, on the team as their captain, we was tight on that one. Yeah, we won two nothing. Beat the uh, wait, wait. We won two nothing. Are you on the team? <laughs> Something I should be aware of. I'm a season ticket holder. Does our disability cover this? Yeah, I'm part of. The, I'm a founding member. I'm a, a part of the. Of club. Of course, you are. Very nice. Yeah, so big win. It was okay. fun. Go New York. And Matt, how you doing? Oh, I'm just dandy. What do you have to? Oh, we had a very Irish weekend. Oh, that's right. St. Paddy's Day. Yes. I was feeling very Irish and spent most of my weekend making Irish food. I saw your you had an Instagram post, something about the whiskey and what did you, a potato pie or something? I made a uh, shepherd's pie with some Jameson in it. Well, I don't think it gets any more Irish than that except maybe Kenny. Yeah. Hello. 
<laughs> I didn't celebrate this weekend. How was that? Po- oh yeah, you you had guests in from out of town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hosting two fourteen-year-olds. Yeah, you know, it was you're it getting fantastic. Prep, prep for being a dad of t- twin teenagers that I will be in ten years. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah, I, I'm not looking forward to it. It's gonna be interesting. Anyway, we had a really exciting uh, last week. Uh, we're coming up on th- this is new for us. Three epic fundraisers happening for stupid cancer. Uh, we had one last weekend with Sean. We went to Williamsburg, and I got a taste of the other life in terms of the hipster crowd that I'm completely and utterly the antithetical human being of. You looked really great with your tucked-in dress shirt and slacks. I did not fit in at there at all. <laughs> I was ill-prepared for what to wear. It was okay. You did well. You were you were keeping up. I needed speed. like a fashion. I had no idea what to expect, and I, I, I've never felt so outmoded in my entire life, although I was accepted because we were the charity partner and I gave my little rousing shtick and everyone applauded. I, I liked the speech a lot. It was very moving. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so it was a fundraiser uh, for um, a young woman who was, she passed away regrettably from brain cancer, but her name was Kayla Corzilia, Kaylee Mordaunt, who married Matt Corzilius, Kaylee Corzilius, Corzilius, there we go, um, from... Um, New York City. She was uh, an actor, a singer with her husband, with Matt. And uh, she, she passed away a few years ago. Really sad, but a wonderful woman. And this was in her memory and her honor. And we can't thank the group enough for being there for us. Um, and uh, she will be remembered, hopefully, an annual event that we can look forward to next year working with them. And where are we going this weekend? We're going to Los Angeles. And wait, you sound real excited. But there's no water there. Why are we going to Los Angeles? <laughs> uh, we we have some friends to meet up with. We have uh, FIDM, which is essentially FIT of the West Coast. Yes, they're, they're putting on a runway show for us fundraiser. So we're really excited to go out there. And a shout out to Italia Ricci for opening up that door for us. We look forward to uh, getting to meet all these incredible young women and yeah. men that are doing this for us. Yeah, Very and men. I said women and men. I delayed the men, but because I think fashion, (laughs) and I'm an old guy, and I stereotype. So what do you want from me? Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, so Um, we're excited to go out there and and see everybody out there. And uh, then we're also launching this first official Stupid Cancer (laughs) fundraising thing in Denver to kick off CancerCon. Yeah, it's called the Kickoff Celebration. It's just celebrating CancerCon that will be coming in three short weeks later, I believe. And so it's just celebrating the mission of Stupid Cancer and celebrating our community um so we we have a number of vip and general mission tickets sold we're really excited um it's in downtown denver just steps away from sheraton downtown where we're hosting it so very cool uh very excited cancerconkickoff.org that's to buy tickets yes and even if you can come you can still make a donation you can still support a uh, survivor's ticket for 60 bucks or you can just make a general donation to Help us raise more money for the cause. Speaking of raising money for the cause, the CancerCon VIP Club is still on fire. We are double where we were this time last year, essentially. Um, Right now, we have $72,324 raised for the young adult cancer community. Um, We're doing well, and and keep it up, guys. You guys are awesome out there who are fundraising for us. Um, And just to another initiative, we do... uh, have marathon teams across the country um right, right we just ran the new york city half mm-hmm. not we clearly not we <laughs> our community though. <laughs> yeah. you sound like sean now right i just did a sean we 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 there yeah. are people out there who did it for us yes yes and we want to send a super shout out to our runners in la and new york city for doing that 
Yeah, so we raised 13300 in the half marathon here in New York, and we had one runner out in L.A. raise $1,000 for us. Amazing. So thank you, guys. Amazing. So there are 38 days left till CancerCon with a big gulp in our throat. Kenny will be heading off on the road trip in a little less than, what, two and a half weeks? 22 days. Oh, but who's counting? Clearly you are. Yep. So tell us about the trip. Well, in 542 hours or <laughs> uh, 32,571 minutes, uh, my good friend John Sabi and I will embark on the fourth Stupid Cancer Road Trip en route to CancerCon. Uh, we are excited to end up in a new city this year. Uh, are we ready to divulge the route? I don't think we are yet. I think Wednesday is the official announcement yeah. of the cities. But we are excited to come see everyone again on our way, uh, making 5,000 mile, making a 5,000 mile journey from coast to coast and then back a little ways. And we pre-apologize if we're not coming to your particular city this year. We really try to be an equal opportunity provider and, and Sorry. Change, change with the route every year. Sorry, Omaha. Sorry, Fargo, North Dakota. Maybe next year. Maybe next year, right. We'll get some tires on the uh, chains <laughs> on the tires. Yeah. So overall, really good stuff. And and uh, just for the sake of of, of nonprofitdom, we we people don't realize how stressful it can be to run a charity. But we just had our audit last week. Great times. Not, not to raise, not to give Mallory any more hives than we already had. But I want to publicly congratulate Mallory on on running the show and doing a great job. Thank you. It was it was a team effort. There was some help involved, uh, but l- lots to learn from this process. Yes. All hail the audit queen. Yes. <laughs> and I can't wait to pass it off to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let's uh, let's kick off the show. In our spotlight on this show, Heidi Gottlieb, professional career coach and founder of Life Coaching Matters. She helped people discover their dream career. She's also a young adult survivor of brain cancer like myself because I tend to be setting the trends these days. We're really excited to have her on the show. Please welcome Heidi Gottlieb. Heidi. Hi. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you for having me. No, it's a real pleasure. I mean, we like success stories, and, and, and honestly, the brain cancer tumor world, I try not to segment the two because benign tumors can be just as devastating as malignant ones. Um, that, you know, we're, it's a very different type of problem to have when you get something up in your brain than in the rest of your body you can't like get rid of your brain so um I, I always enjoy having sort of my brethren here on the show to talk about the the unique challenges of going through something like that especially when you're younger and you have your whole life ahead of you so mm-hmm. I, I you're 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 very courageous in sharing this and you've managed to do some really wonderful things with your life and things that i would never even attempt to do like go to walk to a hospital uh, but we can Ooh. we we can we can talk all about your your uh, your trials, tribulations, and successes. But I, I just want to get started with with you know your life before you know kind of the ball dropped. Mm. Uh, yes, yes. Well, um, my life was uh, going along really well. Uh, I was in television production, and I was producing lots of television commercials. I had just had uh, a young baby, and uh, actually I shouldn't say things were altogether fantastic because I'd been part of an amazing New York City event because uh, there was a steam pipe explosion oh, remember Con, that. with Con Edison in New York City, which was a big deal and uh, really did major damage to 
uh, our family's apartments, but fortunately we had just left that building. Uh, but we had moved to uh, four different apartments in that year, and I was, except for the fact that it was, uh, it wasn't easy, uh, we were fortunate to be alive because our neighbor had been killed, and uh, we were just in our new apartment feeling pretty darn good, and I was doing a job and I picked up then what was the only kind of phone we had, a landline, and uh, hit myself in the eye and gave myself a black eye and felt really, really dizzy and passed out. And uh, then about a day later started to have double vision and uh, went, to see, went to see a neurologist, and my whole life changed after that. So you had pretty obvious symptoms for mm. that came out of the blue because you had accidentally knocked yourself on the head mm -hmm. yeah uh that 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 whack in my head actually probably saved my life to some degree because if it hadn't been for the swelling of my optic nerve banging into that tumor it might have been a while before that tumor banged into something else because my tumor is located in a very, very bad spot. It's actually a skull-based tumor, and it's right in the center of my head next to all the 12 cranial nerves. And uh, it's like I said, they did an MRI, and uh, they discovered it earlier, and they ended up doing a craniotomy, which uh, was a, is a big surgery. Anyone having a brain tumor might be very familiar with that. And uh, they couldn't take much of this tumor out because of where it was located, but they thought they had diagnosed it. And uh, the fact is, uh, another thing that is somewhat common perhaps to brain tumors is that they had diagnosed it wrong. And uh, I didn't find that out until uh, many years later. And I was told that it was benign, but the fact is it was not benign. And I continued to feel not so good. I was having trouble swallowing, trouble speaking. Uh, and I kept going back to my doctor saying, something's wrong here, something's wrong. Every year they took an MRI, did not look like anything. And then I decided to change doctors. And strangely, uh, I had four years before having seen that doctor because I was too not feeling great and had had an MRI taken closer to where I lived, and the doctor that I had changed to had my MRI taken to that very same hospital and compared it. And in, those four, in that four years, as opposed to year to year, in that four years my tumor had grown, and that was suggested then that I should see a, neuro, uh, see a neurosurgeon, which I did. So 17 years yeah. went by. Between mm -hmm. all of this, meanwhile, I, I, I want to focus a little bit on the, the, you just had a newborn when you were, yeah. were first went through this. How old were you at the time? Uh, I had just turned 30. Wow. So the, I mean, you, you know our organization. We're focused on young adults, and the fact that you and I are like alumni of having gone through this so many years ago is, is a testament to mm -hmm. that, that we, we matter, and it's yeah. different. You know, it, 
fertility and, and parenthood doesn't really matter when you get sick and you're in your, you know, no offense to senior citizens, but it's a very different issue. Can, can you talk us through what your life was like raising a child going through this and, and what factors went into your parenting? Uh, well, uh, well, actually, it was, a, it was a big deal because if I hadn't had my daughter before I had, was diagnosed with that tumor, it certainly would have been a little bit different in the way of timing because once I was diagnosed with my tumor, it took up so much of my time. But uh, I did go on to have, I did go on to have another child after, after that diagnosis. I was able to have another child, and so that was fine. But it did certainly change my life after I was diagnosed with, that, uh, with the tumor the first time. And... Uh, but the other part of it is, is that having my daughter and being diagnosed with that tumor gave me a sense of positivity and that feeling of to keep on keeping on. And, uh, that, that was fantastic to have had that in my, in some of my sad days, because generally I have a very positive attitude, but let's face it, you go through some really bad days. And being able to see her face and uh, to just get up in the morning and know that she was there and that I had a reason to keep going, that was that was great to have. Now, it really, really, you have that anchor that you didn't really know mm-hmm. that was so much more of an anchor for you at the time. Was there, uh, there was, I don't, I remember in the 90s, there really wasn't any chemotherapy for brain cancer back then. Did you have radiation or just the surgery? I have radiation, and uh, because, like I said, my tumor was not really operable. And even though I had a really big operation, and I was left with plenty of side effects from that operation, I had a, I had fa- I was left with facial paralysis. I had to go through a decent amount of therapy for that. I wasn't able to swallow after that surgery. I had to re- relearn how to do that. Um, I uh, so. So I just had the surgery, and no, there was no chemotherapy, and I had some radiation, and that's that's basically was my treatment. And and remember, that tumor then at that point was diagnosed as being benign. It was later on that I found out after my second surgery that my tumor was diagnosed as being a slow-growing cancerous brain tumor. Do they have a name for what it is? Uh, my tumor now yes. is a uh, is a skull based chondrosarcoma. Chondrosarcoma. And are you currently in treatment for that? Are you on temidar or the gliadol wafer? How are they moderating it now? Uh, what I after the second surgery, and they were able to get a better biopsy because uh, surgery has actually made tremendous uh, uh, progress in the years gone by not treatment, unfortunately, as as big a step, but uh, surgery has. So uh, they wanted to do several other surgeries on me. There was no saying that there would be any improvement in my, in, in what my, um, just in what my improvement would be. But they, that's all they gave me. 
That's all they that's all they suggested to me. So I then was just started to hit the internet and do my own my own research and that's when I found proton radiation at Mass General Hospital and there was a tremendous amount of success for chondrosarcoma. And uh I went and I had to find out first of all that the the neurosurgeons there didn't feel that I was able to be uh, a candidate for any more surgery, which I was not. And there are some fantastic uh, neurosurgeons at that hospital, but they didn't feel that uh, there was anything more they could do for me surgically. And also that I could stand more radiation because I had already had it, and they felt that, that I could. So I became a candidate for proton radiation, and at this point, my tumor is, uh, has not had any growth. Since uh, since 2008, which is the best I could hope for. Well, that's and the I best go news in ever. Every year for an MRI. That that's amazing news, though. I and mean, again, like I remember when I was di- I was diagnosed in 1996 with brain cancer, and mm-hmm. similar situation, no chemotherapy. They rip your head open. You hope for the best. I mine was luckily operable, but it was wrapped in, wrapped around my brain stem, so they didn't know if I would like even come out alive after the surgery. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this fear of recurrence and not knowing what's going to happen. And, and you're right. The surgeries today are like they, they're laparoscopic and, and they're, they're nuclear medicine. And, and it's incredible technology what's come along so far in the last 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really glad. I mean, hey, it's great that we're still here alive to talk about it. But the fact that we can take advantage of all this progress is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. But as you know, I'm sure that as much leaps and bounds have been made in that area, there still needs to be more done in the way of research uh, and uh, treatment. And uh, that's why, uh, because I'm still here standing, I do whatever I can do uh, to bring attention and awareness to the cause. Yeah, so let's talk about how you've become incredibly active in the cause for brain cancer awareness. Um, mm-hmm. What what inspired you to walk at <laughs> some Mass General from Long Island? Yeah, uh, well, one uh, a couple of things inspired me to do that. When having proton radiation is not without its um, uh, without its uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, it it had its side effects. So one of the things that I had from it, about a year later, I had started to have uh, uh, seizures from it. And when that was discovered, I could not I could not drive for six months. I wasn't able to drive. I could, I walked everywhere. Uh, frustrating but that's what I ended up having to do. And there was something actually good about it because when you're walking, you're thinking. And it gave me, I started to think about what I could do for the cause. And I also started to realize how much I liked walking. And that's when I got the idea to think about making a walk from where I live on Long Island to walk to Mass General Hospital and to stop in organizations and schools and to talk to them about what my story is, what I've been through, and to start raising money for the cause and to be able to donate it to uh, to the cause, to research and and uh, 
and to people that need it for uh, for brain tumors, skull-based brain tumors, and, and other cancerous brain tumors. So I, your children are now in their teenage years, I, I hopefully healthy and thriving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How are absolutely. they? How are they getting any support that they may or may not need? Watching their mother be so strong in the presence of what you're going through. Yeah, uh, it's definitely had it's definitely had an effect on them. I mean, my youngest daughter has uh, well, both of them, both of them have uh, never spent a day without knowing a parent who has lived alongside a brain tumor. And uh, uh, I think there's a few things uh, they think. I think they, I think, well, there have been times that they've said it to me, and then there's plenty of other times they don't say it. I think they wonder, uh, you know, how long I'll be here in this world. But then I think they also come away with some other kind of thought, which is you just never know about how long anyone's going to be in this world. Right. So I think they uh, appreciate every day, which is a good lesson for everyone to learn. So let's take the next, we have about two minutes left. Let's take the rest of the, uh, the interview to talk about what you've done with your life and, and how becoming a professional career coach has helped you and helped others. Yeah. Uh, well, that's another thing that came out of my walk is that uh, after having gone through all that I went through, I, uh, it, you know, it kind of it changes your life and it changes your world and it changed. And I came away not wondering what I was going to do with my life. And that walk opened me up to what I'm doing today which is to be a life coach, because a lot of people on that walk found my story to be inspirational, and I met a lot of cancer survivors who were wondering what they were going to do with their lives, and I decided from after I finished that walk that I would become a life coach. And uh, I came back, I got my certification, and so that's what I do now. I am a life coach. And I thought I'd start out just being be a life coach, uh, a, a career coach for cancer patients because, like myself, I would would not really know. There are a lot of people after they've uh, come through cancer treatment that wonder, what am I going to do for a career now? And they really don't know how to embark on that. Where do I even start? I, I can't even think straight. But uh, I've ended up working with a lot of different kinds of clients, people who have lost their job, don't know where they're going, people who have been divorced, mothers whose kids have grown up and, and uh, don't know then now what they're going to be doing for a living. So it's, uh, it, but it was life-changing for me. The, everything about that walk was life-changing. No, and I really, I do commend you, you know, our expression here is get busy living and, and you've clearly done that. I, I think the takeaway from your story for, for me and many other people is we always say, you know, when the doctor says go home, that's never really the end of the story. And Mm-mm. you've had to live a life of mitigation in the wake of having fortunately not died when you were diagnosed 17 years ago. Uh, for, for, wait, I can't do math. 1990 was 25 years ago. Thank you. Correct. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you, this is the consequence of cure, and you're, you're going through you know, another bout with this, and you're, you're benefiting from all the progress, but how you're handling it is, is really what's the most inspirational. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I always say I don't know at this point who I would even be today if it, is, if it hadn't been for my having been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Well, the website is lifecoaching-matters.com, and it is called Life Coaching Matters. There you go. Uh, Heidi Gottlieb, 25-year brain cancer survivor, alumni of the young adult cancer world. You are uh, remarkable. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you so much for having me. Heidi Gottlieb, everyone. Okay, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something can be happening in the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have a bunch of meetups happening. Elmwood Park, New Jersey, Denver, Colorado, Maplewood, Minnesota, Houston, Texas, New York, New York, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to learn more about hosting a meetup in your community, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. Cancer is lonely. We've got a cure for that. It's called Instapeer, our free mobile app, bringing instant anonymous one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer. Visit instapeer.org and sign up to get ready for the launch in the App Store this month. All right. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive and we're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org and check out our new t-shirts for spring as well as some other cool new stuff we have. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And And that that is your your stupid stupid cancer cancer news. All right. Returning champion here in the uh, main segment on the show, Dr. Mitch Gaynor, founder and president of Gaynor Integrative Oncology and Gaynor Wellness in New York City, clinical assistant professor of medicine at Wild Cornell Medical College, out with his new book. We're going to talk all about it. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the very handsome Dr. Mitch Gaynor. Great to be with you. Welcome back. I've always had a, a, a real flair for MDs who understand this more to allopathy than what you're taught in med schools and that the, the whole world of medicine means more than just what we've come to be sort of inculcated with in the Western universe. So that was a compliment. <laughs> Absolutely, but it's so true, and it's uh, not common. So can you tell us about your medical school upbringing and what you were taught at the time, and has that changed at all for the, for the new up-and-comings? Uh, it's beginning to just change. Um, when I went to medical school, there was very little taught about nutrition, and um I actually uh, remember the biochemistry professor coming in. Uh, I went to medical school at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School before I came to Cornell for my internship. And uh, he had a Texas accent, and he said, you know, I'm supposed to give you a talk on nutrition, and I hate to interrupt, you know, the biochemistry, but, you know, the administration's making me do this, and he brings in a taco. And he said... (laughs) 
Uh, a talking taco? A, a taco, a taco uh, like you buy at a taco shop in Texas. And uh, he said, here's what you need to know about nutrition. He said, in the center of the tacos, your beef. He said, there's your protein. <laughs> he said, on top of the beef is lettuce and tomato. There's your vegetable. On top of the lettuce and tomatoes, some sour cream. There's your dairy. He said, now we can talk about some real science. Wow. And uh, God so bless you, Texas. Yeah. So you can imagine my shock. You know, so nutrition, you know, has never really been focused on in most medical uh, school teaching. And so I did my fellowship in hematology and oncology at Cornell. As part of that fellowship, I was at Rockefeller University and I was studying the immune system and gene regulation and there was something just being discovered at the time called nutrient gene interactions and what that means is is the foods that we put in our body the very nutrients we put in our body for good or for harm literally affects thousands of genes so the message uh, of my book is that you're not a victim of the genes that you're born with just like life itself, your genes are vibrant and they can change throughout your lifetime. So there are things you can put in your body like white sugar, white flour, heat-damaged oils. Those create a lot of inflammation on a genetic level. But there are a lot of great things you can put in your body like turmeric, garlic, cruciferous vegetables that have nutrients that literally turn on detoxifying genes and uh, tumor suppressor genes. All right, so the book, your new book, is called The Gene Therapy Plan, Take Control of Your Genetic Destiny. I like that term, with diet and lifestyle. All right, so if we are able to, and we, we talked about epigenetics. We had shows on epigenetics, and that is so you're born with your genes, but the epi part is kind of what you may have the ability to control in some form or fashion what what does this say about inherited risk and are you able to mitigate inherited risk because you know all the rage now is angelina jolie and BRCA and preventative mastectomies and now there's a lung cancer gene and a colorectal cancer gene what's what's the take on that um there that's a great question and it confuses the vast majority of people so but it's really a quite simple uh concept you're born with half your genes from your mother, half your genes from your father. Now, those genes may contain certain mutations that are going to predispose you to getting cancer. The most widely known and studied is the BRCA mutation, the breast cancer mutation. That's a DNA repair mutation. and But that only affects, if you have that, you have an 86 uh percent chance of developing either breast or uh, ovarian cancer during your lifetime you're at a higher risk of pancreatic and a certain other cancers like even in men prostate cancer and male breast cancer but that only makes up about eight percent of all the breast cancer diagnosed in the united states meaning 92 percent uh, has a lot to do with the environment so the way that i like to describe it is uh, the genes you're born with are the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. So a lot of the foods that you're putting in your body, whether they're environmental toxins that you're exposed to, pesticide, herbicide residues, uh, white sugar, white flour, those types of things will literally activate 
tumor promoter genes, turn off tumor suppressor genes. And there's a lot of commonalities between that and other diseases like premature aging, diabetes, being overweight, which all come back to cancer. Sorry. So uh, the the BRCA community is, is going to be all up in arms now because we said it's only 8% of breast cancer. We try not, you know, you can't please everybody. But with respect to the specific question of can you mitigate predisposed genetic risk through diet and lifestyle? The answer to that is yes. Um, it's estimated uh, that between anywhere between uh, 35 and up to 70 percent of cancer is related to diet and what you're putting in your body. And the other thing that really we have the right to uh, as a people is not to be exposed to environmental toxins that end up to turn out to be carcinogens after millions of people have been exposed. So you can take something like DDT. There was evidence early on uh, that DDT uh, caused cancer. It caused uh, other developmental uh, problems, but it wasn't banned uh, until 1971. Uh, my mother... Uh, died of breast cancer at age 43. She died when I was nine years old. And she had been given DES, which is a very powerful estrogen, uh, when she was pregnant with my brother, uh, who's six and a half years older than me, who also uh, became an oncologist. Uh, and she had a sense that she'd been given so something that was not good for her, and she became a uh, very big fan of Adele Davis and Tiger's Milk and juicing. And that's really where a lot of my interest in this came from. But DES, you can imagine my shock. So, you know, the fact that she died of cancer probably had a lot to do with the fact that my brother and I both became cancer specialists. But you can imagine my shock when I was sitting in a college microbiology class and the professor was explaining how the reason DES was banned for pregnant women, they used to give it to uh, try and promote a healthy pregnancy. The exact opposite was happening. And it was due to epigenetic changes that literally promoted breast cancer. It turned on numerous tumor promoter genes. Not only that, it caused epigenetic changes in the offspring of the women that receive the DES. Women have a high incidence of vaginal cancer, and uh, the sons of uh, women uh, who took DES have a lot of urogenital anomalies, one kidney, uh, hypospermia, things like that. Right. So we're, we're talking about some, so some components of this are things that are so spatially out there and conceivable to mitigate, like the environment. We can do our best to eat organic. We can do our best to eliminate white flour and white sugar. There are some fairly obvious things that we can do. And I, I'm on record as saying this, what good is juicing if you wake up breathing LA smog? And if you move to Montana, you get killed by a bear. So you really can't win in any way. You have to make the most of this is civilization in 2015 with humanity. And what do we do? So let's look at the things we can control that make a lot of sense outside of our, you know, if you're predisposed and you're aware of it, that's the best you can do right now. You're predisposed to it, you're aware of it, and you make the most of what you have. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, uh, I agree with everything you said. You can't very easily move off the planet. Uh, but there are a lot of things you can do. And when you consider that we're living on a planet now 
where almost 50% of the population is going to develop active cancer at some point in their lifetime, uh, that's an epidemic. So everybody uh, is potentially predisposed. So certain things that you can do uh, is you can put in nutrients in your body that increase detoxifying enzymes. We discovered at Strang Cancer Prevention Center and at Cornell years ago that in young people that were developing lung cancer, that many of them had a deficiency, uh, a genetic uh, deficiency of a detoxifying enzyme called GST or glutathione transferase in their lung. What that meant was is they couldn't break down cigarette smoke and other toxins that come in through the air, making them more predisposed to develop lung cancer. So there are a number of things you can put in your body to increase detoxifying enzymes. Uh, In cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, there's something called sulforaphane. On a genetic level, it increases the gene Uh, the codes for glutathione S-transferase. There are nutrients in garlic that increase on a genetic level, uh, uh, genes that code for detoxifying enzymes. And then there's turmeric and resveratrol. Turmeric is what gives curry its yellow color, and resveratrol is found in the skin of red grapes. Those also increase uh, detoxifying enzymes, and these detoxifying enzymes are your body's first line of defense against all the environmental toxicants out there. So to, to coin it, to, to repurpose a term, you're, you're sort of carbon neutraling the damaging effects that you have no control over with what you might have control over. That is exactly right. <laughs> so we all need an antidote, so to speak. And uh, the way that I describe it, uh, You know, the reason a lot of therapies, uh, especially in prevention and even treatment, haven't worked is because they're really uh, not getting at the root of the problem. Uh, It's like trying to fix a leaky roof by drilling a deeper and deeper hole in your floor. You have to repair the roof, okay? For cancer, you have to go to the source, which is your DNA, which is your gene expression. Uh, that's the only part you have control over. You can't replace the genes you receive from your parent, but you can control the expression of many of those genes throughout your lifetime. Another example is inflammation. Inflammation increases your risk of every type of cancer. If you already have cancer, it promotes cancer. There's a lot of great things you can do about inflammation, such as simple things like be concerned about the probiotic, the good bacteria in your gut. You can take a probiotic supplement with at least a billion colony-forming units. You can uh, have Greek yogurt with kefir cultures. You can have fermented foods like miso and sauerkraut. Those are all key to having good bacteria in your gut. That, in turn, causes your gut to release less inflammatory mediators like IL-6, NF-kappa-B, AP-1. Those are uh, mediators that come from your gut and actually increase cancer cell growth. They cause dormant cancer cells to become active, and they cause those active cancer cells to be able to make more new blood vessels. So the things that can decrease inflammation, in addition to probiotics and nourishing the probiotics are whole grains. And you can have uh, certain whole grains like barley and spelt. They're broken down to short-chain fatty acids in the gut. They nourish the good bacteria in your gut. And don't forget, the biggest part of your immune system happens to be in your gut. 
I was going to comment that it, it's generally underestimated the value of your gut biome. And there, I, I heard in Israel they're doing gut biome transplants now for people that have serious illnesses like C. diff. They're literally putting someone else's gut biome in you to reboot your body. To, to And then it just kind of systemically takes over where it's like a bone marrow transplant for your gut. You couldn't, they're doing it for so many other things now. It's so critical. Like that's really one of the hot new things uh, in epigenetics because the gut microbiome, uh, we destroy it in so many different ways and we don't take care of it with our fast food uh, culture and all the white sugar and all the white flour. Uh, but there is more DNA in your gut microbiome than there is in the whole rest of your body. Yes. It's an incredibly important, important part. So even people that are depressed, we know brain inflammation is uh, a big cause of depression. A lot of that happens to come from your gut. Uh, and another thing that's very important for people to know, especially if they're concerned about cancer, if they have a risk of cancer, or if they have cancer, is to know what your 25-hydroxy vitamin D level is. That's the metabolite of vitamin D3. Do they test that in a CBC, or do you have to ask for it? You have to ask okay. for it. It's absolutely key. Uh, and studies have shown, a huge study was published a few years ago, women who were diagnosed with breast cancer those with the lowest vitamin D levels at the time of diagnosis have a 90% increased chance of having a metastasis later on down the line because this D is very important for all your tumor suppressor genes to right, work. Right, right. So I, I, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of things to follow up on there. I really do want to, um, you had mentioned something before about, you said active cancer cells. Does that mean that there are, passive or dormant cancer cells in our bodies at any given time um it's been shown uh in numerous studies in people who died in their 20s uh from an autopsy series from car accidents or wars uh that the vast majority of people in their 20s have dormant cancer somewhere it might be a dormant cancer in their thyroid in their lung in their pancreas prostate but most people are walking around with dormant cancer cells in their body. So that's virtually 100% of people. And Is I that have, because it's a naturally occurring biological phenomenon that your immune system is just supposed to take care of? It is. An, humans develop more mutations and epigenetic changes than any other species uh, on the planet. And we're living on a more polluted planet than our grandparents did or that anybody ever has. So you put those two things together, uh, it makes sense that virtually 100% of the adult population has dormant uh, cancer cells. So we know that. We also know that you have a 50-50 chance of developing active cancer. So, you know, when we talk about, quote, cure, you know, I really think it's more uh, practical and more logical to talk about being cancer dormant. Uh, if you have active cancer, the goal is to make it dormant again. If you don't have active cancer, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it at some point in your life. Uh, the goal is to keep those cancer cells dormant, and uh, there are a host of ways people can do that. So nutrition notwithstanding, let's look at some of the immunosuppressors and therapies. Like, let's just take, let's go old school, Gleevec, the original, you know, keep it in stasis. Does something like that, you know, tricks your genes into pretending it's not there. It doesn't go away. It becomes dormant. 
never shrinks, never grows, never gets worse, as long as you stay on this pill. Is that the same fundamental philosophy as what we should be doing in life in general? This, this notion of keeping cancer dormant through proactive epigenetic behavior. You hit the nail on the head with that one. That is exactly what we should be doing. So I'm a medical oncologist, and I use all of these targeted therapies. Uh, there are so many that are working toward keeping cancer cells dormant on so many different levels. You mentioned Gleevec, huge advance, but there are all these other kinase inhibitors uh, that are able to move cancer cells from being active to being dormant. And now there's all these immune checkpoint inhibitors. This is going to be a huge revolution in uh, cancer. It already is. Um, and so we're also able to do a lot of personalized uh, molecular biologic testing. Uh, I have one patient uh, who's an 18-year survivor of stage 4 pancreatic cancer. I have another patient who's had stage 4 lung cancer, metastatic to brain and bone uh, and liver, uh, and he was found to have what's called a BRAF mutation, was treated with a targeted therapy for that, became resistant. Then they came up with another targeted therapy. That lasted years, became resistant. And now he is on one of these new immune checkpoint inhibitors and back in remission uh, on that. So... Uh, I'm really more optimistic about uh, cancer treatment uh, because we're really understanding it uh, the way that uh, I talk about uh, preventing it, and it's through keeping it dormant. It's not by uh, thinking you're going to eliminate every last cancer cell from the body because you're not going to make one person different than the other 7 billion on the planet. Right, right. So so there really are two completely separate conversations from the 30,000 foot. There's the we're going to help you not die from it, hopefully more, if you get it, but let's try to reduce you getting it in the first place. That's correct. And uh, really, a lot of the modalities that I talk about to keep you from getting it in the first place, they're moving things toward dormancy. So there are all these nutrients, for instance, that are anti-angiogenic. You know, why do people get cancer? Uh, one, uh, normal cells, when they get old, they undergo programmed cell death. That's called apoptosis. Cancer cells lose the ability to die. They just keep dividing and dividing. They become immortal, if you will. So there are a number of nutrients, for instance, and a number of new drugs that are what we call pro-apoptotic. They help cancer cells die the normal way through apoptosis. One of the big ones is just garlic. Garlic uh, is one of the most pro-apoptotic foods we know of. Then there's black raspberry powder. Black raspberry powder is just very concentrated black raspberries because black raspberries very often out of season. That turns on about 200 different tumor suppressor genes. Then there's the bark from the magnolia tree. Uh, the bark from the magnolia tree contains two very well-studied nutrients. One's called honokyol. The other is called manganol extremely pro-apoptotic nutrients. So when we, you know, in my practice, I combine these uh, with a number of these other uh, uh, medical therapies, and um, I think that is the future of cancer treatment and cancer prevention. Well, what, what's impressing me the most about this is, you know, if this were 20 years ago or even five years ago, oh, that's hoo-ha. This is real science, evidence-based 
research-driven outcomes on these, quote, non-FDA-approved substances that are really driving science. Absolutely. And if you look in the book, uh, there are, uh, you know, well over a thousand uh, references uh, from the best scientific journals. And I, you know, lay out uh, in a very easy to use manner, uh, meal plans, uh, recipes, uh, juicing regimens. And one of the things that I uh, really tell people is I say, well, you know, isn't this extremely expensive, you know, to do or hard to find? And it's not. It's actually cheaper uh, to eat and get a lot of these micronutrients in uh, juicing. Uh, There's a lot of food swaps I talk about. You don't have to go out and uh, buy a soda. Uh, You can have a green tea uh, or a coffee uh, or a mixed juice. Uh, You don't have to go get packaged donuts uh, that have all this refined sugar that drive up insulin levels. But they're so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's other delicious things. And you know, your body, the more you eat of those, the more delicious they seem because the more your body wants them. Uh, But every time you're eating something like that, your liver is making insulin-like growth factor, which is one of the strongest tumor promoters there is. All right. So question then, um, you mentioned black raspberry powder. The powder is what got to me. Do you lose any of the DNA once you grind things down to a powder or when you boil something? At what point does eating vegetables become eating mush? You know, because you can do anything you want with a pepper, but at what point is it useless nutritionally? Uh, It's a great question, too. Uh, Like the black raspberry powders just freeze-dried, so that maintains a lot of the phytonutrients. And we uh, actually did studies on broccoli at, uh, when I was at uh, Strang and also uh, at Cornell, where I still am, uh, on broccoli. If you very heavily boil broccoli for a long time till it's really soft, you lose a lot of the indole-3-carbonyl and a lot of the sulforaphane. But it, steaming it is best, uh, but you still maintain a lot. Uh, and so even nutrients like in tea— uh, you know, those are coming from uh, being in uh, extremely hot water. It, the phenols and polyphenols and caffeic acid, those are all anti-cancer substances, and those aren't destroyed by heat. I don't like microwaving things, though. Right. Yeah, well, the science is still out on that. Yeah. We don't know what microwaves. Still, after 40 years of microwaves, we don't know what they actually do to food. Correct. Yes. All right, so we've got about, uh, about five or six minutes left. Let, let's focus really on on the pragmatism. So the, again, the book is called The Gene Therapy Gene Therapy Plan, Take Control of Your G- Genetic Destiny. Yeah, my new band name, Genetic Destiny, uh, with diet and lifestyle. So in terms of pragmatism, okay, I'm a, a single mom with two kids, you know, and my, my dad is sick and I have to work a full-time job. What are some of the things, you know, we don't like to tell people just do this, do this. People make their own decisions here. The The nature of objectivity. What are the options for the busy urban professional who wants to just do something well if um, i also have a website that goes with the book it's called genechanger.com and i have like whole meal plans uh that people can do uh so for instance you can have steel cut oatmeal with apple slices that's on the now trending uh part of that website and you can have that instead of a store-bought cereal with a lot of added sugar uh, eggs or egg whites are great. 
Um, you can have uh, turmeric uh, tea. You can have ginger tea. You can just buy a whole piece of ginger, cut it into five or six slices, and uh, put that in boiling water for about five minutes. Have a great cup of ginger tea. Ginger's loaded with anti-inflammatories and antioxidants that are all stronger uh, than vitamin E. So there are a number of very simple things. Apples, for instance, are loaded with quercetin. Not apple juice, actual apples. Actual (laughs) apples, uh, especially the Granny Smith, they have the highest uh, quercetin content. And then when you think of salads, think of uh, leafy greens like kale uh, and even think of chicory leaves. Both those are loaded uh, with uh, nutrients that upregulate detoxifying enzymes and they're loaded with prebiotic nutrients, one of which is called inulin. The other is called oligofructose that help the probiotics in your gut. Inulin actually acts on a center in your brain that tends to make you less hungry. Uh, So there's a lot of little tricks I talk about. Uh, For instance, you can eat a few fruit slices, a few slices of apple, a few slices of orange before a meal. Then you won't get these huge insulin surges uh, that you'll get if you eat uh, just a big meal. I tell people, turn away the bread basket if you're going to be eating out at a restaurant. Uh, And at the end of a meal, instead of dessert, have a green salad, have some carrot slices. You get all the enzymes, helps with digestion, and again, you don't get that big insulin surge that's going to leave you starving two hours later. Fascinating. So, all right, Mitch Gainer, founder and president of Gainer Integrative Oncology, Gainer Wellness in New York City, clinical assistant professor of medicine at Wild Cornell Medical Center, one of the few doctors that actually asks their patients what they're eating. Yes, What's that like? What do patients say to you typically? Uh, I get uh, every answer you could possibly uh, think of. Are they but, honest? Uh, most people <laughs> are really honest about it. And uh, most people are, you know, if they're not eating well, they're a little embarrassed because everybody's tried uh, one diet or another. Uh, but the problem with most of those diets and the reason they haven't worked is they leave you deficient in something. Uh, the only type of diet that won't do that is one that's focused on your genes, because that's the most fundamental part of who you are. So our my big takeaway on this show, and thanks again, this is always enlightening, you're welcome back anytime to talk Thank about you. this, is is that you may be predisposed genetically. So like if you have a, you know, like you said, this, these young people with lung cancer, because they're genetically predisposed to be more hypersensitive to secondhand smoke than the average person, is that the same as being predisposed to having blue eyes? Uh, that is, uh, it's inherited, uh, the same way. Uh, the problem is, is most people don't have any way of knowing that they're deficient, uh, profoundly deficient in a detoxifying enzyme. Uh, it's not a commercially available test yet. Right. It should be. So last question, how does one know if they're inflamed? What is the measurement to understand alkalinity or your inflammatory what's going on inside your body i talk about uh, all the lab tests you should ask your doctor but the answer to that is c-reactive protein that's probably the single best test to look for underlying inflammation uh, the two other tests that i recommend uh you should know what your uh circulating insulin-like growth factor is because that's a big tumor promoter and you should know your hemoglobin a1c that'll tell you your average blood sugar for the prior six weeks before uh, it was drawn. Mitch Gaynor, the man of the hour. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the show. All right, Mitch Gaynor, everybody.
So, Kenny, is your mind blown yet? We have to figure out how inflamed your liver is. Well, I feel better about the fact that I had kale, quinoa, and uh, uh, kombucha for dinner. That's great. <laughs> but what, do you, what did you drink with it? Kombucha. Oh, I'm, see, Matt doesn't even know. What I have no is. idea what that is. Is that the stuff with the little? Yeah, we had sco- we had Scoby in the fridge for a while, and it was freaking Matt out. He thought he was gonna, you know, get up and walk it's away. Like, like the blob movie. Like I don't understand that stuff. Yep. So anyway, his twin came along, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> you know, really exciting. Always, always amazing and fascinating stuff to talk about on the show. So with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 340th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Heidi Gottlieb and Dr. Mitch Gaynor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks... It ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody.